0: I recently saw a LinkedIn post that was a screenshot of somebody's folder of Microsoft Excel files for their 2023 budget. Kid you not, there were 15 versions of the 2023 budget Excel file, eight of which had final in the name, four had final-final, and three had final-final-updated. When it's a screenshot like this, it really surfaces how insane it is. But what is more insane is that I suspect all teams doing any type of financial planning and analysis in Excel They have folders of Excel files that look just like this. If this is true for you or your team, stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, Giraffe, later in the episode.
1: And I think there's there's two things driving the automation. One is you want to increase worker productivity, but I think the other thing is workers have more power than they ever did before, and they don't want to work as hard as they used to. That's just the truth of it, and they don't have to. So... You're investing in automation to make your full-time workers happier so that they aren't on their feet so much, right? They're not running around taking drinks to the tables. So that they can just stand in one place and fill the drinks at the
0: machine and put them on the robot. Coming to you weekly from the OnPay Recording Studio, this is the Cloud Accounting Podcast.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver.
0: And I'm David Leary. Hey, David. We just keep pumping out episodes. Coming up on... It's amazing, right? Because we're, what, four years of this? Episode 295, I believe. Going into Labor Day weekend. And did you see our latest review? No. Some accounting student in California, Scott Michael Collier he has listened to all... Every single episode. He went back in time. Every single episode, like all 294 episodes? Well, it's 294, but it's, I think it's 330 because we have some bonus episodes and we had some not logical numbering for a little while there. But yeah, I think we're pushing well wow. over 300 episodes. He went back and listened to all of these. People are trying to offer him jobs on LinkedIn because <laughs> they're like... The due diligence and the follow-through and the drive, not to mention he's probably smarter than everybody else in his degree program. But let me read this here. Hey Blake and David, I'm an undergrad accounting student in Orange County, and I love your podcast. I heard about Earmark in May and liked it a lot. I had heard you mention this and thought I would give it a listen. Mistakenly think it would be similar to the number of episodes to Earmark, I started the Cloud Accounting Podcast at the beginning. Once I realized it began in 2017, I thought it would be cool to get history of the industry over the past few years plus. I thought it'd be pretty fun to hear predictions about 2020, and then when the podcast switched from being monthly to weekly, not, maybe that was early, right? We've been weekly a while. I realized the size of the undertaking. It was a little frustrating when I wanted to call in and participate, but couldn't because of a trivial reason like the thing I wanted to address was actually occurred or happened a year and a half ago. But anyway, I'm all caught up now and love the show. You guys are entertaining and present a view of the industry I don't hear about in school that seems to be just trying to push me into Big Four. Thank you for helping me to see options that I wouldn't have heard about otherwise. I'm excited to keep listening and learning while I get through the rest of my degree program. So that's five stars on Podchaser. It's amazing. We are
1: disrupting the Big Four accounting industrial complex one listener at a time, one student at a time. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. I mean, that's a huge accomplishment. And I think we're going to send him a t-shirt as a thank you. It's tape. in the mail.
0: It's already been ordered. Awesome. It's on the way. Yes. <laughs> I, guess, I guess you automatically, if you listen to all 400 episodes, you automatically get one. Oh, man.
1: Well, you know, you mentioned uh, big firms or like the fact that this listener hasn't been told about anything other than that traditional career pathway. So I got to bring up some stories, two stories that I saw that don't make the big four look really great. Uh, And I'll let you choose which one we start with, David. So first, we have the story of an Ernst & Young employee who was found dead in the office uh, after Friday night work drinks. And second, we have the story of a PwC manager who's suing PwC for losing a chunk of his skull at a drunken work event. Where do we go?
0: Oh, wow. Hold on. Let me just make sure. I don't have any drunk work stories with the big four. No. um, I think it's a coin flip. Do you got a little coin flip? I don't. I don't have the app. I don't have a coin. I. I don't carry
1: metal currency anymore, David. So bitcoin. I don't have a flip coin flip, to your flip. bitcoin. Flip right. your bitcoin.
0: Well, I'm gonna. All right. Uh, let's go with the chunk of skull. Let's. Let's go. With okay.
1: That. So this is thanks to none other than Going Concern in 2019. PwCer Michael. was at an after-hours pub golf outing with colleagues when he got blackout drunk and awoke in the street later that night with no memory of the evening. He suffered a life-changing head injury and had to have part of his skull removed, most likely due to a fall he doesn't remember. And there are before and after pictures, David, and it's pretty disturbing. He lost a big chunk of of his skull. I'll put the link in the chat for you, David, so that you can see it. And our Is listeners- like a
0: mystery? Like nobody else knows how he fell either?
1: Well, so, you know, you're out with colleagues, you're heavily drinking. I mean, <laughs> you know, we were just in New Orleans, David, so you know how <laughs> it can this? be. You maybe wander away or you're with a group and you fall and nobody notices, right? That something happened. And you could crack your head open. It's like, a seriously risky thing to be walking around on city streets when you're drunk. And so I guess, you know, he, he, he had this injury and he had to have part of his skull removed. Um, He's okay. I mean, he's alive, but he's got this big dent in his skull. Like it looks like a, a piece of his head is gone. He basically woke up four weeks later after this pub crawl and had to like do, go through recovery. So he's actually still working at PwC years later. Uh, but now he's, you know, sued the firm and the reason is that you know, he, he says that he was required to go to this event, he was pressured to go to this event, and that he was pressured to drink a lot. And here is the original invite from one of PwC's managers. It said, quote, I expect absolute attendance from all of those who attended last year's invitational. Nothing short of a certified and countersigned letter by an accredited medical practitioner will suffice as excuse. And the lawsuit also states that there was a, quote, very heavy pressure, unquote, from management to attend the event that, quote, encouraged excessive consumption of alcohol, unquote, and he's suing PwC for damages of approximately a quarter million dollars U.S., um, which it? seems like like low, but I mean this is the U.K. right, so they're not as litigious as we are here in the here here in the states. It would be like millions.
0: Yeah, it twenty five million. Especially you saw I saw the picture you, you sent. Yes.
1: Yeah. Pretty shocking. So, so, And the event was styled as a pub golf outing, which involved visiting nine bars or holes in which they were allegedly pushed to consume a specific alcoholic drink. Workers who used the fewest swigs to consume their drink were given the best scores, which were recorded on cards that were printed and distributed in the office, it is claimed. So wow, this doesn't sound like responsible. Nine bars, nine drinks. Like that's a recipe for disaster. I think it just goes to the culture problem that you have in big firms, right? When the work itself is painful, the only way you can compensate for that is to try and create this cult like culture. Like literally this is cult like behavior right here. Yeah. Right. Very bro It's yeah. Real, it's not right. Role life. So now let's get to the other, uh, story. EY, a young female Ernst and young employee was found dead At the accounting firm's Sydney office just hours after attending an event held by the company's social club on Friday night. And this was uh, recently, last week, so end of August. This is in Australia. A 33-year-old Ernst & Young employee spent the afternoon at the Ivy, a popular bar and club in Sydney's central business district. Before she returned to their George Street offices, which were 450 meters away. The Australian exclusively revealed the employee arrived at the social event at around 5.30 p.m. on Friday before returning to the office around 7.30 p.m. to finish some work. So that's classic, going to the social and then going back to the office to work. To work, yeah. Yeah. And her body was discovered by colleagues on Saturday morning after midnight. So she was, get this, escorted out of the ivy due to intoxication and... Security footage reviewed by investigators did not show her visibly inebriated upon returning to the office. And apparently uh, they're waiting for a report from the coroner, but they believe the police, the NSW police, believe her death was the result of self-harm. So picture this young 33-year-old goes to this work event, has to go back to the office to do more work and decides to kill herself. Jeez. Right? So I, I don't know
0: where to go from this. Well, yeah, yeah. It's the...
1: They go talk to an accounting professor, James Guthrie, Guthrie, and he said that big four companies had a, quote, flawed organizational culture, unquote, where junior employees commonly faced intense time pressures and worked long hours unsupervised. Uh, so that was uh, reported in at news.com.au. So I, I, I'm i sorry for starting us off on that, <laughs> that really uplifting story. But it's kind of fitting considering here in the States, we're going into the Labor Day holiday and this culture is not good for labor. I would say that the, that aspect of the culture is is very bad and needs to end.
0: Yeah, I have a Trump story. Trying to... oh, oh, great. Let's continue with all the, the good news. It's not really a tr- – so essentially, obviously, we know about the raid and did Trump have top secrets and documents and – like this had nothing to do with the story. Right. The reason it caught my eye is Representative Mike Turner from Ohio, he's the top Republican on the House Intelligence Committee, he is downplaying the concerns about this. And that's fine. It's just what, the way he framed the concerns and why they should be downplayed is his use of the word bookkeeping. Bookkeeping. So he basically said – because a lot of this, I think, debate is about the archival part of these – Right? I think the they want to archive some of these records. He's got them because you know Trump likes all his magazine covers. He likes his history, right yeah, With his yeah. face on it and type of stuff, right? whatever. So he says at so at some point, this sounds like a bookkeeping issue rather than a national security threat. Like is that what people think of bookkeeping? Like it's just like if you have a list of problems and it's minor, just call it a bookkeeping issue. Is that just where we're at? well, i' like, it's kind of sad.
1: I'm not really sure what like Trump's lawyers are arguing because right? first they were arguing that. He had the total right to take this information because he can declassify whatever he wants at any time as the president. But then they're saying, oh, it was an accident, like bookkeeping issue, meaning that, like, they took stuff that they weren't supposed to take and that wasn't his fault. They were blaming the yeah, GAO the, the, for it Yeah, a
0: bookkeeping. Like, they could have just been like – you could have said, like, much ado about nothing. You could have, you know, said it was a blemish. It's like a pimple. You could have done all these things. But they choose bookkeeping to attack. That's a weird word. Utilizes- that's a weird <laughs> – Weird way like, to put like, it. You, it. People are using bookkeeping to refer to something that's minor and doesn't matter. Yeah, just, just, just—that's the world we live in. All right. Well, continue hey, on, sir. Here's a
1: funny bookkeeping error. Crypto.com. Remember, Crypto.com. Matt Damon was shilling for them at the Super yes. Bowl. Yes. Yeah, yeah.
0: Dream or adventurers, and whatever. yeah, was, the, right?
1: fortune favors the brave. Buy cryptocurrency, good. and then it plummeted. Right? Not good for his brand. Well, The Verge reported that Crypto.com mistakenly sent a customer $7.2 million instead of a $68 refund. This is... <laughs> and you're going to love how this happened, David. How, do you, how does a crypto exchange, basically a bank for cryptocurrency, accidentally send somebody the equivalent of $7.2 million US? It was in Australia, so it was like $10, 10 million Australian
0: dollars. You want to guess? You want to try to? I have no idea. I'm guessing it's a, a minor bookkeeping issue. <laughs> the customer had requested a 100
1: Australian dollar refund, and somebody at Crypto.com accidentally typed an account number in the payment amount field when processing the refund. So they were supposed to put in 100, 100, 100 but they put in her account number into that field. So they they gave
0: her 10 million. So was this a human error, or was it just bad UI? Remember that thing with Revlon? The Oh, how they accidentally they give a huge loan and they paid the loan off too early because yeah. the UI was confusing. Yeah
1: who knows, right? Whether it was the UI was bad, but like it's funny to me that crypto.com, a cryptocurrency exchange, first of all, is doing this manually with humans, and that there's no controls in place to make sure that this kind of thing doesn't happen. Oh, and the best part is they didn't, they didn't notice it until like seven months later. So the, the initial transfer occurred in 2021 when that employee typed the account number in the payment amount field. Crypto.com only realized the mistake when conducting an audit in December of 2021. And now they're trying to get the money back. So they sued her, right? They filed a lawsuit. And this is the other thing about crypto, right? Like, So she she noticed the money in her account, transferred it out to U.S. dollars, didn't set off any alarm bells. Duh. <laughs> Duh. Or not U.S. dollars, Australian dollars, I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, and then decided to like buy a million dollar house so crypto.com had to file a lawsuit because they couldn't get the money back anymore and they successfully put a freeze on the account and the court has ordered the account holder to sell the home and return the money with interest to the exchange i mean so if that happened to if that happened to me i w- i would definitely like like you, you can't stick around you got to flee the country right you got to get out of the out of the uh
0: Reach of the law in Australia. Oh, yeah, move it to to something in the U.S. where it's a lot harder to get. Right. I mean, and they say like I don't know their app just moved it to this other place. I don't have to cover yeah. this. They must have. But yeah, wow. wow, that's a a lot of money. So this is the thing
1: about crypto. It's like it's it's not it's not necessarily better than our our current financial system when developers don't even put rails in place, right? And we we've we've been talking about how these errors that happen, these bugs in the software, where hackers exploit and drain money from blockchains. There was another uh, example of this. Uh, The Solana-based decentralized exchange Optify accidentally vaporized $661,000 after a developer shut down the entire programming, powering the exchange using a single command.
0: This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Lysio. Stephen Brewer and Company CPAs has a blog post on their site titled Why don't we email and text clients? Here's the TLDR Email is one of the least secure methods of electronic communication. Text messages can be intercepted. Emails and text messages can spread viruses, malware, etc. Need to protect personal info, name, address, date of birth, social security numbers, bank account numbers, etc. You're probably wondering how Steven and his team communicate with clients. They use Lycio. Lysio allows you to have secure real-time communications with your clients via a mobile app that includes reminders, task management, e-signatures, document scanning and exchange, and uploading, and unlimited storage. If you are ready to significantly improve your staff's focus, collaboration, and relationships with clients, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo.com. That is l i s c i o. Uh, I have kind of more ridiculous bookkeeping errors. You Let's talk, talk about it. Out?
1: Yeah, I want so, to go.
0: I mean, if you've been following anything about the uh, Ukraine, the war in Ukraine, and you know, we're we're sending over all these weapons and all this money, and apparently nobody kind of knows where a lot of these weapons are, and it's because to quote unquote, they do all their accounting on paper, <laughs> so they they can't pin down where this equipment's at. It's just it's gone per, to some extent. And the uh, acting, inspecting general of the Department of Defense, Sean O'Donnell, he said that they keep track of weapons using hand receipts. It's just all paper. Like, like here's, a, here's no a tracking of this. Here's thing. an
1: anti tank javelin missile.
0: Uh, here, Here's a paper receipt for that, you know? like Yeah, there's not even like a Google sheet set up of like, here's the weapons, here's another column, like who he delivered it here's to. Here's what division has it. It, it, it. Yeah, it's just bad bookkeeping. Bad bookkeeping. Bad. I think we have our episode title this week. <laughs> uh,
1: uh, well, let's talk about a little bit about audit. Uh, this is just a quick follow-up. We've talked about how some Chinese companies are at risk of getting delisted from U.S. stock exchanges because they weren't allowing the PCAOB to inspect their audits. Yes. And this has been a big beef between China and the U.S. Uh, is, hey, if you're going to be on our exchanges, we need to be able to inspect your audits to make sure that... These audits are legit, and the company's financial statements are legit. And good news for the worldwide capital markets: the PCAOB and China have signed an agreement opening the door for inspections. So basically, it looks like the U.S. got what it wanted. Beginning with 2021, after three consecutive years. Of PCOB determinations that positions taken by authorities in the People's Republic of China obstructed the PCOB's ability to inspect and investigate registered public accounting firms in mainland China and Hong Kong completely. All companies audited by those firms would be subject to a trading prohibition on U.S. markets. That was the original law.
0: So PCOB gave them a three-year window to, you know, manufacture the books so that way when the audit comes, it's going you know it's gonna be perfect. Now, it's gonna it's going be perfect. So don't even bother auditing. They they yeah. fixed it. So PCAOB is going to get, be able to select the firms, audit engagements, and
1: violations it inspects, investigates without Chinese authorities saying what's going to happen. They're going to get to view complete audit work papers with all information included, those manufactured ones, right? Uh, and they're going to have access to interview and take testimony from all personnel. So they're getting full access. It's uh, That's a win for the PCAOB.
0: Did you see uh, your great state of California, your former great state of California?
1: I'm no longer a Californian. About, I'm 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 an Arizonan now. I've been here two
0: years. Arizona, that's long enough. Okay. So, they passed a bill on Monday called the AB 257, where it's also called the Fast Food Accounta- Accountability and Standards. Oh yeah. Fast Recovery. Essentially, what it's going to do, it's going to create this board, this governing board of fast food restaurants, and one any restaurant that's part of a chain that's a hundred or more has to start paying their employees twenty two dollars an hour. Yeah, this is a wage
1: so, this is this is crazy, David. This is nuts. Yeah. This is a wage setting labor board that's going to determine the minimum wage for all of these larger fast food chains in California.
0: Yes. And so now they're really pushing on Governor Gavin Newsom to veto this bill, so it's, which is crazy, right? So the Democrats push this bill through because they're all Democrats in California. And now they're, now others are lobbying another Democrat to veto this because they, nobody's thinking about the long-term effect of this. And if you think about this, right? So you have employees. You have a small business. Minimum wage is $15 an hour. McDonald's now has to pay them $20 an hour. Essentially, what they so what they did is they wrote this law, like, oh, if we only make the biggest, the people with a hundred franchises or more across the country do this, they're going to get punished. Just the big boys will be punished, but really, you're punishing all small businesses because how are you going to hire somebody if they they can get paid twenty two dollars an hour at McDonald's? Right. right. Yeah. I mean, so they basically just raised the minimum wage to twenty two dollars an hour. And not only that, this. Um, council this fast food council will have the power to dictate terms of employment like wages and benefits hours worked yeah. like they really are they're, it's it's kind of a a crazy thing and then some part of me thinks like what's the long-term impact one impact is mcdonald's just like employees are just too expensive we'll just start making more and more robots i mean obviously you have the kiosk to order at McDonald's. have you been doing mcdonald's lately yeah yeah i i order they just have a big yeah. it's like a big ipad it's but, gigantic yeah the-, the size of your body and you just order from that there's no people Yeah. And that's where they'll go. And some, if they start building robots for french fries and these other things, they get to amortize it, right? Yeah. At some level, this is going to tip where it's not worth giving anybody jobs. And this is going to come back to bite Californian in the face. And what I don't understand about
1: this, it's like we're, I'm, maybe this legislation started years ago and that's why this is happening now, but it makes no sense in the current environment where workers have a lot of power and wages have been rising. So, like, the last thing we need is to, keep art to artificially increase the minimum wage uh, the wage for restaurant workers even further it just it it's like tone totally tone deaf like with the inflationary environment too we're in (laughs) like it's 14 percent of the market california for fast food so it's a big deal for all these bigger chains but you know you brought up automation and and robots and stuff like that and i spotted a story about how cfos are turning to automation to control costs so exactly what you're talking about, David. If labor costs go up, then the the ROI of automation also goes up because every labor dollar you save, right, can go into automation technology. And I was just uh, watching the news, local news, yesterday, and there was a story about this sushi restaurant here in the Phoenix area that it's it's one of those um, you know conveyor belt sushi restaurants and they've recently oh, you don't get sick at those <laughs> i think it's called kura sushi they're they're a chain I mean, it might be nationwide but they're they're big they've been doing the conveyor belt sushi for a while um i have never gotten sick from conveyor belt sushi only supermarket sushi by the way and okay. um they now have these robots that take your drinks because that's the one thing you at a conveyor belt sushi restaurant you can't do is get the drinks out to people on the belt so they have this robot with little platforms on it and and the worker Fills up the, you know, Coca Cola or Pepsi or whatever, and puts it on the robot, and presses the table number, and it takes it to the table, right? And now they've got them in all the restaurants, like so. For them, they clearly made the calculation that it was better to use those robots, invest in those robots, than to hire people to take those drinks around. Uh, and bigger picture, uh, going back to this CFO story, uh, a recent survey from Gartner showed that 98% of CFOs say they will not cut their current tech investments. And 66% are in fact planning to increase investment in automation over the next year. They are specifically investing in automation technology that will reduce costs and increase efficiency. 33% are aiming to automate more back office functions. And 27% said they want to focus on automating operations such as warehousing and transportation. So inflation, higher labor costs leading to that, that's going to accelerate automation. I mean, we're going to – this is going to be the golden age of automation, like the next few decades, because it's not like yeah, the – not it,
0: it's not a cost-cutting move in the way it was kind of in the 80s where like, hey, we want to build cars differently, and we're going to get robots to build the cars. And it was really just manufacturing, but now it's hitting the service industry. It's mm-hmm. going across the board because it's two pressures. You're right. Like, There's the pressure of we can't hire anybody anyways, so we've already started this march, but then when you have government – Saying now pay people this much more, regardless of your bottom line, regardless if you can afford it, regardless of how the math works, you have to pay them this fixed amount. So it's yeah, that that those two pressures are gonna force companies. And if you think about somebody like McDonald's is very um price sensitive, like they probably know better supply and demand than anybody. They move a yeah. penny on a on a Big Mac and they know the effect of
1: that. And I think there's there's two things driving the automation. One is You want to increase worker productivity. But I think the other thing is workers have more power than they ever did before, and they don't want to work as hard as they used to. That's just the truth of it, and they don't have to. So you're investing in automation to make your full-time workers happier so that they aren't on their feet so much, right? They're not running around taking drinks to the tables. that they can just stand in one place and fill the drinks at the
0: machine and put them on the robot. I don't know. Like, my daughter works fast food now. She's 16. I'm thinking, like, is that going to be an option for maybe your kid soon? Maybe not. You're just going to have to be an influencer. <laughs> there's no the only jobs left to be influencers until somebody figures out how to do that with bots. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know. Th- then nobody will have jobs. Like, none of us will ever have jobs except for accountants. They're <laughs> the only ones. Well, and, and I,
1: I do such. think there's a, there's a real chance of that happening in our lifetime where AI gets so good that, like, many jobs are completely automated. Or we'll just, you know, they. But we always think that's going to happen, right? Historically, people have always said like jobs are going to get automated and there won't be jobs, and then we won't have to work. But then we always figure out how to invent new jobs, like weird new jobs that never existed before, like even influencer, right? Like, whoever would have guessed that like being a social media influencer would be a profession? Well, podcaster, yeah, or podcaster or something like that, right? Uh, so you know, we'll we'll come up with new bizarre uh, ways for people to make money.
0: I'm sure. The other way you can ensure there's going to be jobs for people is you create certification programs. So I saw this great post. This is from Wasia Kamon, CPA. She, well, actually, she's CPA, CMA, MBA, right? So she posted on LinkedIn. It's one of those like LinkedIn slide deck things. So you kind of have to jump over there to get it. But basically, this is the top 10 accounting and finance certifications. So obviously, I'm going to hit next here. Number one, CPA, right? That's the big one. And then you have ACCA slash CA. So this is Chartered Certified Accountant. You have CFA, which is Chartered Financial Analyst. You have CMA, which is Certified Management Accountant. You have CFP, which is Certified Financial Planner. You have FRM, which is Financial Risk Manager. You have FMVA, which is Financial Modeling and Valuation Analyst. You have FPAC, which is Certified Corporate fp Professional. And then you have CFE, which is Certified Fraud Examiner, CIA, which is Certified Internal Auditor, and that's it. So that's like 10 of them. Mm -hmm. So that's another way to ensure our profession always has jobs because we just don't let people in because we have all these certifications. There's two ways to look at it. But I thought it was a really helpful deck, and she she really lays out, like, who's issued by, the background, the requirements, um, some summaries of it. It's a really cool little deck. So... This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Giraffe. Are you still using Excel to create budgets, clash flow forecasts, revenue models, or hiring plans for your fast growing or mid to large sized clients? Giraffe is an all-in-one financial planning and analysis solution that maximizes the collaborative value of forecasting, budgeting, reporting, and analytics, giving you and your clients the confidence and speed needed to drive their business forward. The best part of Giraffe is that it eliminates the constant rework that your team or clients must do every time data or variables change. Need to adjust projections based on hiring two more employees? Just connect your payroll app to Giraffe, and your numbers are updated. Need to account for marketing and spend changes? The impact of new leads or upcoming deals? Just connect Giraffe to your CRM. And of course, Giraffe connects to all the cloud accounting systems you love, including QuickBooks, Xero, NetSuite, and Intac. DRAV knows that firms that offer advisory services that include budgeting, forecasting, and FP&A are 34% more profitable. That is why Giraffe has an accounting firm partner program that guides you step by step through the process of adding FPNA to your firm. If you're ready to become an accounting firm partner with Giraffe, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash giraffe. That is cloudaccounting forward slash J-I-R-A-V. Plan smarter, faster, and together with Giraffe.
1: All right, we're going to get into app news, but before that, let's do listener mail.
2: Hi Blake. We take on a high volume of business clients and mostly focus on bookkeeping and fractional CFO services. This means that most clients come to us needing a big catch-up job done initially. We price this out as a fixed, flat fee for the period. An example would be $1,500 to get 2022 caught up from January. We have these projects going on with some staff, and staff also working on recurring monthly work. We are a seven-figure firm, but not yet at the point that we have separate departments working on recurring and catch-up work. Is it better to have separate departments for each? What are industry averages for time it takes to catch up a client's books? There's more moving parts to catch up work. What is a reasonable way to manage it? And reasonable expectations to have when developing deadlinks and processes with employees. For high growth firms, the high or low profits made off of the catch up work could be clouding the recurring work profitability.
1: That was from Joseph on LinkedIn. A lot of questions in there,
0: David. Did you catch any that you want to answer? I had I don't think I have answers to them, but I mean, the gist of it is, is do you ma- is it important to manage your catch-up work separately? A, just because of the effort and processes involved. You don't want somebody who's doing monthly stuff over here and, you know, to be distracted with that. And then kind of the, do you even keep all the fees separated and the fee structure for all of that? Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah. Well, I can tell you what we did. I had a separate onboarding and catch-up team. And the People who did the ongoing service, the bookkeeper is responsible for the ongoing monthly engagements. That was separate. And that worked really, really well. And the reason I recommend it is because if you're doing a bunch of catch-up work, but you're also trying to take care of your ongoing clients, something's going to give. Because catch-up work might be months and months and months or years even of work. And it all has to happen very quickly in order to get that. And sometimes there's a surprise, right? Right. You start digging in that you did not know existed. Exactly. To and... So, there's a lot of time up front in a very small amount of, there's a lot of work in a very small amount of time. And so that, you don't want that impacting your current clients. So I would definitely have a separate team that does that. You could have them do the onboarding as well, because it makes sense, they're already getting the documents. But if you get big enough, you could have a separate person who just collects everything, does onboarding. Then you have a team that does the consulting slash cleanup work, and then you have a team that does the ongoing engagement. And another reason, other than just the the workload, to do this, to separate this out, is that I found that different people are good for those jobs. So it takes a different skill set to be good at that cleanup work, more of a consulting type of mindset, somebody who likes to problem solve and deal with those issues. And a lot of times the accountants and bookkeepers who do the ongoing work don't like the surprises. They want the consistency. That's why they're in that job in the first place.
0: So you you got to think about people's preferences. Regarding, the, I guess, pricing-wise, right? He said he fixed fee or flat fee at 1500 bucks a month or whatever to do the work. Some part of me is like, oh, why don't you just do it free to roll it into your subscription? But I guess there is some part, some set of clients that you do all the work and they're like, thanks for cleaning my books up. I'm gone. Yeah. So you don't want to like <laughs> – because like, if, yeah. if you chase the, the long-term value, yes, it makes sense to give it free. Or maybe you could structure it like we'll do the cleanup work. And then after a year, if you still be our client, I'll refund you for that cleanup work. I don't know. Maybe it's like that type of thing to make sure they yeah. stay the a client. I would say you could – most
1: of the time you can charge for this stuff because they, it's not like they've been paying somebody. They know that they yeah. need to pay for this. The problem is that when you do that, a lot of times firms will heavily discount the cleanup work in order to get the client. And then – the client could just leave. So you've done all this cleanup work for a heavily discounted price and they're gone. So I always recommend if you're doing cleanup work, have a minimum commitment for the ongoing. So six months, a year, that sort of thing, uh, unless you're getting paid full price for that cleanup work. So the only way you discount is if you get something in return. And that's just a general good rule in sales is never give something without getting something. There's always a give and take in any negotiation. So if they're asking you for a discount, get something in return, get a, get a longer term commitment. Um, all right. Our next listener message is from Elliot regarding the discussion of the IRS audit percentage.
2: Hi Blake and David, long time listener, first time caller. I'm in Australia. So have no skin in the game here, but I think asking what percentage of tax returns should be audited is completely irrelevant. If the purpose of an audit is to uncover people underpaying their tax liabilities, then the metric shouldn't be about the total number of audits. The IRS could easily increase the number of audits, but if they didn't collect any additional tax, then what's the point? If they want to collect more tax, then the figure reported should be how much additional tax was collected as a result of audits. You could also have a metric around the percentage of audits that resulted in additional tax collected, to ensure that those selected for audit were being selected appropriately. Incidentally, the tax gap is a theoretical concept and includes under reporting of tax liabilities from people not declaring the proceeds of their criminal activities, such as underground gambling, drug dealing and money laundering. I'll quote Australian figures here but I suspect the proportions would be similar in the US. The most recent report in Australia shows the Australian tax office estimates there are around $11 billion in missing taxes as a result of the shadow economy each year. Given the tax gap for individuals not in business, that's ordinary working people, is only $8 billion, I often wonder whether auditing people to pick up an additional few hundred dollars each in tax is really worth the effort, particularly when you could easily raise the additional tax revenue by limiting deductions in some areas or even by not reducing tax rates and taking advantage of bracket creep. I'd also be fascinated to know if the data collected from audits is collated in some way and passed on to the senior regulators and legislators so they can use it to better design the tax system, or even something simple like changing the design of the tax forms. If auditors reported people are constantly making the same mistakes, then maybe it's not deliberate fraud, it might just be through ignorance or simple errors. I understand the threat of audit encourages people to do the right thing, and audits do need to be a part in the compliance activities for all tax authorities. But the bigger picture is that tax authorities should be making it easier for people to pay the correct amount. And I'm not sure that simply auditing more people is the best way of achieving that. Love the show. Great listening, as always. Elliot Brannan. Thank you, Elliot.
0: He, he kind of said the issue right in the beginning of the call, of the, the voicemail, which is essentially the purpose of audit, the audit. That he's saying the purpose of the audit is to get cash, to bring in more revenue. And like I think that's part of the problem. That's why people are so scared of it and they hate it. You're coming for my money when really the purpose of the audit is to make sure everybody's, everybody's doing their fair share. Yeah. right? Everybody's uh, If they do an audit and they find out we audited 10,000 people and everybody's was honest and perfect, that's just as good as an audit that recovered money, I would say. Because that means people are doing things correctly.
1: Yeah, and I've heard this from a few people saying this about um, the audit rate, which is you know you have to look at it based on the direct revenue brought in by audits, but but that's that's not comprehensive because the possibility of an audit is what makes people be honest. A lot of people, anyway. I th- I, I think if if there were, let's do a thought experiment. If there were no audits, if our tax system was completely voluntary and there was zero chance you would ever be audited, David, or anyone, what do you think the tax gap would be? I think there would be just massive, massive tax evasion, right? It's the possibility of audits that makes people think twice about doing something that they shouldn't do. Just like it's the possibility of getting caught by the police that stops people from walking into a Best Buy and walking out with a giant big-screen TV, Right, so incur- I mean, it encourages behavior. Yeah, it 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 motivates behavior. You gotta have some sort of check on on people, and and I find it funny that everyone wants to dance around this question. Nobody wants to answer my question that what is a reasonable audit rate. And I feel like there could be a a behavioral economics way to answer this question, which is to say like like do studies if the chance of getting caught. Is like a certain within a certain range that incentivizes the most behavior, the 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 correct filing, uh, while minimizing the cost of compliance. That's what we want, but nobody wants to talk. Yeah, about you're right. That. It,
0: it's ten percent, fifteen percent. There's some number that basically right. almost a hundred percent eliminates fraud on tax forms. Yeah, and we don't want there's, a one hundred percent number. It's 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 not one out of a thousand right like right now. I'll tell you that. Right. It's,
1: right. <laughs> exactly. It's to uh, so my feeling is like well, if we increase that audit rate a bit, maybe that would get people to be more honest. Think of it like uh, speeding tickets, right? Like we don't have police and cameras on every single street in our cities, but there's the possibility that you're going to speed by one. And that's what gets people to drive under the speed limit or slightly above the speed
0: <laughs> limit. Right? I, 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 19 miles an hour above the speed limit because 20 gets criminal. Like Right. Yeah. Well, no, but so in Scottsdale- Somewhere you tap you it. So in Scottsdale, the
1: police have these, like, little vans that they park on the side of the street, and they move them around, to ran- like, randomly. And so you never know when there's going to be one, and it's pretty rare. But I got caught by
0: one, right? And now— I know, So Tucson got rid of all that. Was We voted all that stuff out. I can't believe they're still doing that in Scottsdale. Well, it's a huge revenue generator for the city. You don't have to pay the ticket. You know that, right? If they don't serve you, you just throw it away. You say, <laughs> I wasn't driving. Well, you know, that's what was happening. Too many people, they they couldn't enforce it. They couldn't collect. Yeah. Like the collections of it was too much because nobody was paying them.
1: Right. Well, you know, that's another problem, right? Uh, But what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say here is that it's the possibility of an audit that gets you to, gets some people, some people would be honest without it. Right. But we know there's a lot of people who wouldn't. And that's why I think the tax gap is so large because it's really easy to get away with tax evasion for year after year after year and you never get caught. Yeah, you know, the gross tax gap in the U.S. accounts for $441 billion in lost revenue each year, according to the latest estimate by the Internal Revenue Service. And that's on the Tax Foundation website. So I'm going to go with that. $441 billion, David, like is, is – that's student loan relief. That's student loan forgiveness every year. Yeah. Every year. That is like half of the PPP money which was $800 billion, like every year lost due to tax evasion. And now, yes, some of that might be due to criminal activity, which is never going to get reported. But I'm sure a lot of it is in legitimate businesses that are filing taxes and are just under-reporting their income or taking deductions that they shouldn't.
0: Oh, see, now you go to business, like, hey, if you pay cash, I'll give you a discount. Yeah, and it's not just cash. It's like, They give like, you a 10% discount because they're getting a 30% return yeah. on that money. Of course they're a 10% discount. Yeah. Um, this episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Relay. Blake, we just discussed the announcement that we have launched Earmark Media. And one of the things we've had to do with a new business venture is open a bank account.
1: And we used Relay to do it. With both of us being in two different cities, you in Tucson, me in Scottsdale, going to a physical bank branch together was impossible. So we had to do something else. But with Relay, we were able to open the account online. I invited you and we added our initial capital.
0: It was easy. I just accepted the invite, connected my bank account, and did a transfer. And did you also, Blake, did you see that they've rebranded? Yes, I
1: was able to get a sneak peek and I gotta say, I love it, especially their new tagline,
0: "On the money." I love that I'm gonna get a new relay card. My other one's a little, little haggard and beat up from using it too much, and it looks like it's gonna have tap. Do you know when this goes live? It's live right now. Great! If you want to see the new relay, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo/relay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo/relay can jump into App News because there is, uh, you know, taxes involved. We have a Twitter earnings. You want to jump in? Yes, let's do App News. So last week we got busy and we didn't cover the Intuit App News from last week. Um, they had their earnings and they also released a logo. Do you want to do earnings or logo first? Well, when I first saw
1: the the rebrand announcement with the new logo, I didn't. I couldn't figure out what was different without comparing the old one and the new one side by side. And it looks like they just cut the head off of the I the and the
0: T. Yeah, they cut the heads off the bodies, right? Yeah. Um, and then the ends a little bit more rounded. And, but I don't know, it, it's silly because the, the people in there actually was great. I thought, I always thought that was really, really great. But it's also like kind of silly because they, they changed the font of the main Intuit logo. So the U's and the N's and the T's are slightly different. But all the sub brands have like a different style T and they have the N with the, you know, like when you draw an N, there's the straight back on the end. Yeah. So the Intuit logo no longer has the straight back. And can they just say that like nobody cares? Yeah, I do think like nobody cares. And right? most, most people have no clue what Intuit is anyway, they know the yes. sub brands. And so speaking of the sub brands, that's the big difference. I noticed Mint is not listed in the lockup for the sub brands. And I think that's because Mint is just kind of rolled into credit karma. I, I wonder if they're going to completely kill mint. And it'll just be credit karma. You do your you do your credit report there, you do personal finances there. Yeah. Right. You have the credit karma personal bank, right? I think I mint must be going away, which is kind of interesting. And then the the other thing with the lockup, because everything's lowercase. And this is the craziest one of all. So QuickBooks, technically speaking, everybody, when you do QuickBooks, it's capital Q, capital B. Always has been, always will be. Every every developer, anybody that ever uses the logo has to do that. But then they create this branding in this logo and there's lowcase Q and lowercase B, which is just bananas, right? Like they're not utilizing the same branding strategy thing. Uh, it's a little crazy. Um, and the other comment on this, I saw some photos of the announcement on LinkedIn, et cetera, and they got new shirts and they're kind of like, they actually, you know, Expensify had their new shirts. We talked about this about a year ago, and it kind of had the blues kind of similar to the Cloud Accounting Podcast blue, and they were like a dark gray shirt, kind of like our shirts. And now I saw the Intuit ones, and the blue's a little different shade, and it's on like the gray shirt. It looks just a little similar to the Cloud Accounting Podcast shirts. I'm just saying. <laughs> so, I'm just, just saying. Uh, well, what about they their have earnings? earnings, which we yeah. also missed last week? What's so? What's new with their earnings? So they had. Um, they had revenues of 2.4 billion dollars for the quarter ending July 2022. The small business and self-employed revenues grew 41 percent year over year to 1.77 billion. And then their online services, so this is going to be payroll payments, time tracking, uh, QuickBooks Capital. They they grew 116 percent year over year to 657 wow, million. Wow, that's a lot. And then of that 657, 265 was Mailchimp. So MailChimp's contributing, you know, almost a third yeah. of their services revenue, which is pretty interesting. Um, they still have the $3.2 billion cash on the balance sheet. And then total desktop ecosystem revenues grew, QuickBooks Desktop, uh, 1.5% um, during the quarter to $489 million. So QuickBooks Desktop is still like Half still the chugging billion. along, unfortunately. <laughs> um, it will never die. Conf- yeah, I listened to the conference call. And there's nothing major in the conference call. But the, the vibe I got in here, or one takeaway was flat out, they said 51% of the company is small business of Intuit. So for all the TurboTax business Intuit does, small business is 51% of all of Intuit's business. And they're talking about how revenue growth and this argument of how, they, how they've been growing now is they tend to grow slow until they innovate, and they give an example of their payments product. So four to five years ago, the payments business only grew at like 11%. And then when they innovated and uh, improved the payments experience across the platform, now it's growing 30% plus. Hmm. Right? Now like 2 trillion invoices are moving through the system and they're managing the platform. So it's kind of a, and then, so they're talking about this when it comes to their other product lines as like they, they're in this innovation and improvement curve on some of these products. And then you know, they're, they're still at the bottom. We've talked about this. Like They still think there's a $20 billion opportunity here. And, and then – oh, the, and this ties into my next story too. From, so this is a quote from Sasan, um, the CEO of Intuit in the conference call. He said that – because he was asked about whether or not – now the economy is getting tough, what that's going to mean. And he comes out and says that we're not a line item on the small business budget. We are the platform that fuels their success. We are mission critical. Without our platform, a small business can't run their business. And I see that quote and I'm kind of like, wow, that's pretty cocky. And this is my comments from last week that I captured because we didn't get to the news. And I was thinking about, you know, I think... This is where Intuit and Zero, et cetera, are wrong. They're full of themselves, right? You have Toast, Shopify, Shopify Cleo, Law Firm Software, Builder Trend, which is for um, construction, Eco's Brewmaster for breweries. Those are the mission-critical apps. Those are the platforms they run their business on. Like I think payroll is a commodity. Time tracking is a commodity. Marketing apps are a commodity. Merchant service is a commodity. Bill pays a commodity. Bill scan. Even the GL, they're all commodities that are just easily swappable. So, like, this is kind of naive on Sasan's part, I think, right, of where yeah. they stand. And proof of this is, did you see um, the announcement from MyCase? No, tell me. So, MyCase is law firm software. And about a year and a half ago, they purchased two companies that do some GL work. Well, blah, blah, blah. They finally launched out what they're calling as MyCase my accounting. But the key to this whole press release is this sentence. The feature eliminates the need for firms to use third-party accounting software. Yeah. Like, hello? Like, like, like
1: you know? That's the that, threat. That's where you're at. Yeah, that's the threat, that's to, the threat. to Intuit is, is all of these front office apps building their own GLs or integrating with something that's... I mean, QuickBooks is getting expensive, right? And... At a certain point, people will say, hey, you know, maybe I don't need to do all my accounting in something that's $90 a month just to do yeah. my accounting if I'm not using it for anything else. So I think that's where, I mean, that's what QuickBooks has been working on. Intuit has been working on making QuickBooks this holistic solution so you can run your whole business on it. And, and, and In the meantime, yeah. you know, I, like you've got to stop this, people, really. And you've got to stop this. And here's a new product. There's a new product from Intuit this week that shows you. I I hope that anyone who's still, if anyone's listening and they're still enmeshed in desktop, like let's, <laughs> I don't know if you're there, but you got to check out this new product from Intuit. Uh, and this reflects their strategy of integrating all these cloud-based products that they're innovating with. This is called Intuit Tax Advisor. And... We're using a new recording platform, so for those of you who are watching on YouTube, you can actually see my screen, and I am going to play the video for you, David, announcing this new product. So the headline on the website is Tax Prep Plus Advisory Tools Together at Last. Build custom tax plans in minutes with data automatically generated from your Liz cert or ProConnect software. So you can connect this Intuit Tax Advisor app into your Intuit Tax prep software, pull in your client information, and then create tax plans using strategies that have been pre-built into the software. So this is a lot of stuff that people do in Excel sheets to show clients what's possible. Uh, and, and the presentation on this is really spectacular. It's really, it looks like a beautiful product. So I'm going to play the video for you. And if you're listening on the podcast, go find the link in the show notes and see it in action for yourself or go to... Um, Uh, Go to the link in the show notes to see the website.
3: Something you've been waiting for is finally here Tax Advisor. Tax prep and advisory tools together at last. With Intuit Tax Advisor, it's so easy to build custom tax savings plans for your clients, you'll wonder why you haven't done it sooner. You shouldn't. Because no resource like this has ever existed. Intuit Tax Advisor is the first of its kind. It's a proactive tax planning tool that can develop complex, personalized tax plans for your clients and provide them with easy to read, customized reports. There's no need for spreadsheets, scanning, or manual data entry. With Intuit Tax Advisor, you won't ever have to think about those things again because client data is automatically mined from your Lacert or ProConnect software. Syncing data this way translates into far more accuracy for your clients and far less time for your practice. All legislated tax law updates are automatically incorporated into planning and projections with built-in compliance. Personalized tax planning is an amazing way to grow your business and provide value-added services for your clients. Intuit Tax Advisor provides you with things like smart suggestions that generate personalized tax strategies and insights directly from your client's tax return. You can choose to add them or dismiss them. It's up to you. You'll also have the ability to try different tax scenarios to see their implications. Don't see a strategy you want? Create your own in minutes. Save and modify it at any time. You can also choose from our library of strategies where you can plug and play from hiring your kids to 401k contributions.
1: And then the video concludes with examples of the reports that you can send to your clients and they are beautiful. So think of this as a sales and marketing tool. You can plug in the tax information from the return you prepare for your compliance engagement. And you can say, look, If we do these strategies for you, you're going to save this much in federal tax, this much in state tax. Your whole total savings is, let's say, $10,000, right? And it's going to offset our fees, right? Like that's how you position these advisory engagements is I'm going to save you X dollars in tax. And so you're actually going to come out ahead even after you pay my much higher fee for that.
0: Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought to the show because I actually bring the show and I was room. Maybe Blake will see this, maybe he won't. We didn't talk at the time. But, and I was also looking at this and I, I wrote this down. I said, it looks very polished and arguably more finished than other Intuit launches. And the fact that you kind of picked up on that as well, like this is looks like a real deal winning home run product. It's yeah. very impressive looking for, from this. Yeah. You know, unlike, you know, QuickBooks Bank, you know, which is crap, right? It's just like, you know, they they, they really have done this I could argue the abbreviation in the press release is not good because they call it ITA. It's just <laughs> bad. That needs a, that needs a better like, acronym of some type. But um, it, it's cool. Yeah. I, it, it's interesting. One question, though, I have about it is in my, my brain is, well, in the video, they're like, this has never been done before. And it's like, yeah, and to it why didn't you do this a decade ago? Well, You've had all the data, the expertise, the knowledge. You could have done this forever ago.
1: Well, And it's, it's, it's false because there's a LACERT tax advisor thing that they have in the past. There's a FAQ on their website where they talk about the difference between this older product and this new one. So it, okay. it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a new iteration of what they've already been doing. But I think this one's, you know, in the cloud, it creates those beautiful reports,
0: right? It looks pretty nice. It looks nice. And then, and then some piece of this leads me to a bigger question, right? We've talked about this before with QuickBooks Live, like that last mile, right? Like if, if Intuit wants to automate more stuff. Right. They have bookkeeping and they do bookkeeping. They can learn things and they can really understand what to do to solve these last mile problems. Kind of like this. Is this like a way to get last mileage knowledge? Now you get to see all the strategies accountants are applying with clients. And then you spin this out as a TurboTax tax planner type product. Or it becomes um, part of
1: TurboTax Live, like a higher level plan for TurboTax Live, right? That with their own tax advisors. And it's all pre-canned, right? So it's easy just I pull in your information. I don't have to be uh, an expert with 20 years of experience, maybe I've had a few years of training to do this. It's it's upskilling or, I mean, this goes back to the whole automation thing, right? It's like all these tax strategies are well-established and you can apply them. It's just hard to do that with spreadsheets and to figure all this out for clients if you don't have a lot of experience. But if you're on Rails in a software product, you can actually see like, like, based on the information from the return, here's the ones you should recommend, and here's what's going to happen. And it just makes it a lot easier for people with less experience to do this kind of work for clients, do tax planning. So it's it's about the combination of the human and the software, right? That's the future of our profession. It's been that way, starting with bookkeeping. It's just moving up the value chain.
0: Yeah, and it still shows it into it.'s like even though they're an old dog, they still have new tricks in their sleeve, so well, yeah. the new stuff. I, um, I I know we they've never talked about this, but they have a product, and I always forget the name of it, so I can never pull up the website. Um, but they, it was funny because when we were at ZeroCon, one of the keynote speakers, somebody asked him like, "What things should Zero build?" And he's like, "Well, I really like it for my calendly and some billing software, and um, my Zoom, you know, some task management. We're all combined into like one app." And I was sitting in the audience, I was like, "Intuit's built this already." Some of it, I think, is because of QuickBooks Live, but I can never remember the, the URL for it. Um, and they, they're not marketing it yet, but it exists. And then it's really a slick. And you can, so basically, you can be my client, Blake. I just give you the URL or you book on my calendar. It's the same product. It takes notes while we're, while we're meeting. If I want to bill you, like, oh, yeah, I'll do the cleanup work. You sign the contract right in the Zoom call and you pay me right in the same call. It's not a Zoom call. It's whatever this platform Intuit built is. Um, but it's like there's still good things that can be possible here. Oh. But then they do stuff like that weird business-to-business store that's kind of weird, QuickWorks Bank that's not good. Yeah, you know, hit and miss, I guess. They're a big company.
1: Uh, you know, speaking of human software hybrids, uh, Bookkeeper 360, one of the original cloud-based bookkeeping firms, has raised a $3.5 million seed round to scale their platform and operations. The round was filled by new strategic partners, customers, and previous investors, we're also angel investors of Etsy.com. Now, Bookkeeper360 is interesting because they built their own app. So they have an app on the App Store called Bookkeeper360. It plugs into QuickBooks, it plugs into Xero. And so it's actually a really powerful uh, funnel for them to get leads for their bookkeeping services because you can uh, connect it, get this dashboard, and then you can also interact with your Bookkeeper 360 bookkeeper through the app. So it's like their own client portal communication system that they've built. Yes. Yeah. And and that's really interesting to me. It's an, it's an accounting firm, bookkeeping firm, that has built their own software. Now, they don't build their own GL. I think that's the smart thing is don't try to build your own le- ledger because that's that's what InDeNiro did and it failed, right? It's too complicated. It's too much. But you can build your own client interface, and report presentation tool that's doable
0: yeah and then the basically the virtual office interaction yeah right with your client scheduling you could, you could customize you could customize that to the experience you want to offer your client
1: and actually it's just what you're talking about right like what somebody said they wished uh you know zero would build like right? bookkeeper 360 has built that a lot of that that's for kind themselves. of
0: similar exactly like yep. share
1: files do time. you know schedule meetings all that stuff
0: so, we, so we, two other things happened last week that we kind of missed, we didn't get to in the news. Um, Stripe laid off tax, some TaxJar employees. So Stripe bought TaxJar. TaxJar was tax calculations. So you know, like an Avalara type product, right? Um, they acquired them because they, you know, obviously Stripe has lots of transactions going through and they're in, supposedly going to stack and integrate this in. They started releasing a product, but now they're laying off somewhere between 45 and 55 people. Um, and they just acquired them in 2021. But they said the company um, is still going to like work on these um, suite of tax tools for e-commerce companies. So, But obviously they did do a layoff there. And then the other piece that we missed last week was Fathom. Fathom Reporting yeah. got acquired by Access Group. So Access Group, from, it sounds like they've been gobbling up a lot. Uh, they're they're kind of like the, uh, the sage group of the Asian Pacific region. Region. So they've been gathering – they've been uh, gobbling up like um, they bought Reckon Accountants. Now they bought Fathom. Um, they're kind of a private equity company basically buying up the, this tech stack. It did say that um, Fathom currently has 7,500 customers uh, worldwide at the time. and uh, But they also – Access Portfolio already had reporting and financial planning tools. So <laughs> who knows where this is headed. Uh, Carbon released a client portal. Did you see
1: that, David? So now your client, if you're using Carbon, your client can have access to all your open and closed requests, including current client requests that haven't been completed. They'll also have copies of documents that you have uploaded so you can keep track and easily find what's been sent. And they did something uh, different with the client portal versus their current functionality. The current functionality is uh, if if you send a message to a client or you give them a task, the client gets an email with a, with, and, and with a link and then the client sets up a pin number like a four digit pin and then every time yeah. they click the link they have to put in their pin as a security measure that is a huge pain <laughs> i've been on the receiving end of this because the firm yeah. i work with uses carbon because uh, i forget you know what pin i use I, I try not to use the same pin as my bank account you know that sort of thing and so now they're just doing these one i think slack calls them magic links where it's just you get an email to verify you have control of the email, and then okay. you get into the portal. So it's a passwordless portal system, which is, like, the ideal situation, in my opinion. You don't want people to have to remember a password. Um, yeah, especially
0: for, like, your lawyer, your accountant's portal, your doctor's portal. I don't want to start logins into passwords for that. Yeah.
1: I agree. So this was one of the big, like, missing features in Carbon, and now they've got their first version of it. So they continue to really, you know, grow and they're penetrating the larger firm space like carbon is becoming a very very popular solution especially for mid-sized firms because they've got this new functionality now well david i think that's all the time we've got for this week where can people find you online i'm on all the socials at david leary it's i am easy to find i am at blake t oliver send me your emails voicemails are even better you can email those to Cloud Accounting Podcast at EarmarkCPE.com. That goes to both me and David now. Cloudaccountingpodcast.earmarkcpe.com. And you can get CPE credit for listening to this show. Download the Earmark CPE app on the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. Sign up for free. Start earning free CPE credits for listening to this show. And many, many other amazing podcasts. We just added FPNA today to the lineup on earmark cpe so now if you're interested in forecasting financial planning and analysis you can get cpe for listening to Bar- paul barnhurst's podcast and there's just so many more uh and actually what's well, a th- three-day weekend you could listen to lots you can catch up on all your cpu and we just launched we did a soft launch this week of drunk ethics yes you heard that correctly not drunk history drunk ethics hosted by greg kite <clears throat> greg kite is a cpa and comedian He and his friend, Adam Broud, who is a uh, MBA and a comedian, do a four-hour behavioral ethics CPE course. It's a premium course on the Earmark app, so you can get four ethics credits, satisfy your ethics requirement. In each episode, they take a shot every seven minutes until the end of the episode while they teach behavioral ethics. And it's actually really, really insightful and funny at the same time. I have never laughed so hard while learning so much. Um, So... Go grab that course and I guess I'll see you here next week. Have a great Labor Day weekend, David. Yep.
0: Hi. Bye. Time for the classifieds. Do you dream of starting a bookkeeping business, but you don't know where to start? Join the bookkeeping biz workshops, a live four day workshop series hosted by Serena Shoup CPA. You'll learn where to start, what it takes, what tech to use, how to build a business, not a job, plus how to get comfortable on discovery calls. The workshops begin September 20th. So register today at bkworkshops.online. That's bkworkshops.online.
1: Hey, podcast listeners. It's Blake, and I wanted to let you know about a new show I'm working on with CPA slash comedian Greg Kite and blogger slash former CPA Caleb Newquist. It's called Oh My Fraud, and it's a podcast all about financial crimes. That's right. A true crime podcast for accountants by accountants. Caleb and Greg are going to come together every couple weeks to unpack their favorite frauds and explore the circumstances, psychology, and interpersonal dynamics involved. They also fully indulge in victim-blaming the defrauded widows, orphans, infirm, and feeble-minded because who can resist? If you fancy yourself a trusted advisor or prefer your true crime with spreadsheets instead of corpses, listen to this show to learn what to watch out for and to keep your clients, your firm, and even yourself safe. To subscribe, go to OhMyFraud.com or search omyfraud oh on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.